So earlier this week, I read about a new class that they're offering at the University of Pennsylvania in their English department. And the title of the class is called Wasting Time on the Internet. And my first thought was, I got that one down, all right? Now, maybe you think you could do pretty well in that one, all right? Wasting time on the Internet. Here's the class description, okay? So I get online, I read the class description. From on Tuesday, on, excuse me, on Wednesday afternoons from two o'clock to five o'clock, students will come to class and they will be required to stare at a computer screen and interact on the Internet for the full three hours. Like, where was that when I was in school? All right. Now, whatever your worst class was, you think I could do that because I immediately thought to myself, I got wasting time on the Internet down like I could get an A in that class all the time. And maybe for you, it's not the Internet alone. Maybe it's your phone or maybe it's some other way to pass the time. But the truth is, we're all pretty good at wasting time. I was thinking about this, looking at people's Facebook posts and and Twitter feeds where people were putting their year in review up, you know. And so you got the videos that show all the best pictures and you, you hear the year in review. You know what's never on those year review kind of things is? This year I spent four full days doing absolutely nothing. Like I wasted so much time binge watching on Netflix. It is unbelievable. You don't have that up there because we don't brag about that stuff. But if we went around, we all have our ways to waste time. It's one thing to waste a few minutes. It's one thing to waste a few hours. It's one thing even to waste a day or two. But what about when we get in danger of wasting our life, who we are, what we're put here to do? And see, the issue is most of us don't have a problem filling our time. Most of us don't have an issue with finding things to do. But when we look at it, it doesn't always add up to what we ought to be doing. It's almost like we're spinning a web constantly of activity and catching ourselves in the trap that it causes. You ever watched a spider spin a web? It's a fascinating thing. In fact, I have a video for you to watch as we're kind of talking about it. Isn't that good to look at right there? Look at that. Now, here's what's fascinating to me about this, okay? You can see on the screen or here, you can see the web being spun. I don't want to point exactly where it's coming out of, but it's being spun. And what's the purpose of a spider's web? To catch bugs, right? The idea is that a bug, he's going to spin this web and a bug's going to get caught there. And the more the bug struggles, the more it gets caught. Now, we even know that as humans, we're too big to get caught in a spider's web generally. Although there are some, you want to talk about a horror kind of scene. There are some scenes, on. I don't know if you've seen these like acre big webs of spiders. But how many of you ever walked out of your garage or a door and you got it on, like on your face and your hair and you can't get it off, right? Some of you are like freaking out right now thinking about it, right? And the idea is the more that the insect struggles, the more caught up in the web they become. I was thinking about spider webs this week and I thought about our lives. 
And that we got all this stuff going on. And I don't know about your family, but for my family, it all starts today. I mean, school's back in session tomorrow. Eli's got a major project due Wednesday. It's, it's here, right? Aren't you glad we had Christmas to relax and not do anything? It's here. And it feels like sometimes in our family, and maybe we're just different and we're weird, it feels like sometimes we are weaving so much stuff that we get caught up in the activity of what we're doing and we end up wasting our weeks and wasting our months because we're not focused on what we really should be focused on. There's a saying that says, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And many times in my life, I feel like a spider spinning a web that's going to trap myself. Since I came here seven years ago, we've had as our theme, as our motto, as our purpose statement, the statement says that we exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And I couldn't help but think as we were planning and as I was praying and as I was thinking about how to start the new year, that we needed to talk about what does that mean? And so over the next four weeks, we're going to specifically talk about this one phrase, passionately devoted. What does that look like? What does that mean for me as a follower of Jesus, for me as a member of this church? What does it mean to be passionately devoted? And I want to tell you that I'm going to go ahead and give you a preview of the four weeks. And the four weeks are that we're going to give you a word every week, a description every week of what a follower of Jesus, a member of this church, ought to look like if you are passionately devoted. Now, it shouldn't be rocket science to figure out the word this week, right? I mean, it's over there lit up in blue. It's behind me in the net. And this week we're going to talk about what is perhaps the most important, and that is to be passionately devoted to Christ means that we are a worshiper of His. And every time I think about the concept of worship, when I think about celebrating who Jesus is, I am taken back to a life-altering moment for me. And it happened... Uh, 17 years ago, and it was at a conference that I attended, and there were great speakers, but there was a verse that stood out that has become my life verse, that has become my motto, that has become what I, in my best moments, what I try to attain, what I try to live my life for. And it comes out of the book of Isaiah. It's Isaiah 26, 8. And it says, Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we wait for you. For your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. Your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. Now, the, the word renown is not a word that we use a lot. Somebody tell me, what does renown mean? It's good. Somebody else. What does renown mean? Famous, fame. It, it means, um, the word actually means like a name echoing back and forth. The picture, one of the best pictures I've ever heard, is if you've ever been to a football game with passionate fans, and they start one of those cheers that on one side, one side yells one thing, and the other side yells in response back. So they start yelling over here and yelling over here, and before you know it, the whole place is echoing as the name of the team that they support is risen high into the air. The renown of their football players is risen high. Isaiah is saying, 
that my desire, my one desire in this life is that the name and the renown of my God would echo from my life. Another word, somebody said the word fame or famous, and we understand that concept, right? I mean, we live in Nashville. We got famous people all around. I mean, when we moved to Nashville, I remember seeing a couple of famous people, entertainers. And let me just be real honest with you. When you're pastoring in Ripley, you don't see those people. They're not hanging out at the Walmart in Ripley. So, you know, you come to Nashville, and part of the story of living around Nashville, in Goodlettsville, Hendersonville, Greenbrier, wherever you are, at some point you go into Nashville, and you're going to have sightings. And so sometimes it's fun just to sit around and talk about the people you see. I remember we came here, and we were... One of our first anniversaries here, we, Susan and I, went and stayed at the Hermitage Hotel downtown. Went ate downtown, came back, and as we're getting out, or getting back to the hotel, we walked to where we ate, we walked back. Getting out of a vehicle right in front of us is a guy that I recognize immediately, and Susan has no clue who it is. Now, she doesn't need to really know, but she knows it's somebody. She just doesn't know who it is. And so we see him, and I kind of, she can tell by the way I'm acting, this guy might be a big deal. And we walk in, and we get to the elevator, and we get in the elevator, and he walks in and gets on the elevator with us and has a conversation with us. And as he's getting off, Susan says, okay, am I supposed to know who that is? I said, that's Terry Bradshaw. She's like, who? I'm like, Terry Bradshaw. And she's like, well, she'd recognized him from TV, being on TV and stuff. But I mean, my dad, when I was growing up, my dad, one of my favorite pictures of him, he's got this cowboy hat and he's got a jersey on that's Terry Bradshaw. So that became my go-to story. Well, a few weeks later, I'm sitting at Nashville, Delhi, eating downtown and Vince Gill and Amy Grant come in, sit next to me. You know, how are you doing? Good to see you. I've had the privilege of being backstage at the Opry. Remember Jeff and I were there. We, David Crowder was playing and that night. We were sitting around and there's Jeannie Seeley and Lita Jimmy Dickens who just passed away and Bill Anderson, whispering Bill Anderson. They're just sitting there having coffee or tea or lemonade, right, just back there in the back. Get to meet Carrie Underwood and get a picture and have a conversation. Start, You know, you just part of it. And then a couple of weeks ago, some of you know this, I'm in Publix picking out apples. The guy walks up to me, hey, how you doing? Good, good to see you, good, good. And when you're a pastor, you say hello to everybody. Because you never know, they visited, where am I? You know, it's got that kind of familiar face, like I know them from somewhere, I don't know where it is. And he gets about halfway away from me, I think, hey, it's Garth Brooks. I text, Susan texts me making sure, guys, I know you don't ever get this, but making sure I'm getting everything I'm supposed to get at the store. And I said, listen, it'll be a minute. I'm picking out produce with Garth Brooks, all right? She's like, no, you're not. And I look over, and he's gone over and put his arm around a woman, and I think that better be Trisha Yearwood, or I got a story. <laughs> right? TMZ on the line, right? And so Susan goes, send me a picture. And so I took the most stalker-like picture you could take. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah, for all you know, that's Cliff Forbes dressed up right there. Some of you know Cliff. I mean, so you don't know that's Garth, all right? But now some people, somebody said, I couldn't tell it was Garth, but I knew it was Trisha. Well, good. They're shopping, just normal people. But here's the thing. I put this on Facebook. Immediately the thing blows up. I got people sharing. My friend, my, one of my good friends in Nashville is like, 
Who is that? I don't even know who that is sharing it, right? Just Facebook friends sharing it, people going all over. 150 likes in 24 hours, just people all over. Listen, I don't get those kind of likes, all right? I put up last night, we're starting a new sermon series. I got eight. I put up a stalker picture of Garth Brooks, I get 150. All right? Some of you are in, some of you are like, where is that in Publix? This is the breakfast style right here, all the meats. Our lives sometimes, even if it's not famous people like this, our lives become a escalating array of who we know. <laughs> You're not going to believe who talked to me today at school. The other day, the regional manager called me into his office. The president of the company was walking through, and he made time to stop and talk to me. I got an email the other day from a publisher, and I, I never expected that. And our lives become, who do we know and how far are we climbing the ladder? And sometimes I just wonder why we miss out on the fact that the person whose name and renown is the greatest that has ever been or will ever be is constantly available to us. And we treat it like it's just another everyday occurrence. Our lives become so wrapped up in other stuff that the web of our existence obscures the reality that the entire reason we are here is to worship Him. The God of all the universe, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the most important person who has ever existed or will ever exist, desires for us to be in a relationship with Him and we treat it like it's a ho-hum part of our week when we can barely make it to church. And we go nuts when our pastor puts a picture of Garth on the Facebook. Now, there were several people that said, did you invite him to church? Now, I am so glad so many of our people were concerned about their souls. But here's what I know. They weren't concerned about their souls because if Garth Brooks walked in this room sometime, they, people would get more excited than they've ever been about Jesus being here. And I don't mean that to hurt unless it does because it's true. Many, many years ago, hundreds of years ago. I mean, you realize we get one shot at this, right? I mean, the reason it's so important not to waste our life is because this is the only chance we've got. And we can spend our lives. The, the, the reality is we are all worshipers. We are people that are going to worship something. And it may not be a celebrity. It may be. It may, it may not be. Um, it may be a bottom line. It may be a business venture. It may be a boyfriend. It may be a girlfriend. It may be a relationship. It may be an entertainer. It may be a musical group. But we're going to give our attention, our support, our loyalty, our passion to something. Hundreds of years ago, they were trying to figure out the basics of the Christian faith. And they wrote that out in this question and answer format. And the very first question they asked, the very first question in this thing they call the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this. What is the chief end of man? I mean, that's the question, right? That's it. If you can answer that question, everything else begins to fall in place. Now, 
If we answer that question with our lifestyle, many of us are going to be disappointed with what it proves. And you just think about what's your chief end? Well, an easy answer is what do you give your time, your support, your money, your passion to? I'd spent the last two weeks, except for that little part where I got the flu, thinking about this sermon today, what we were doing today, about launching out into this. In my whole life, I'm trying to orient it around your name and your renown, the desire of my soul, that you are the one I care about, God. You are the one I want. And I'm trying to orient my life around that. And God kept bringing up to me during the weeks things that I gave my passion to. And my energy too. Friday I was in Jackson at Susan's dad's house. And when they ran that trick play and scored a touchdown and went up 21 to nothing. And I thought Tennessee football might be good again someday. I went nuts. I hear people tell me all the time, like especially about worship. I want to talk about this a little bit more in a little bit. But like I'm just not that kind of guy. I'm just not an expressive guy. I'm not a... I'm not a, I, I, I just, I don't let my emotions out. That's not who I, or I can't sing. I, I, singing's not my thing. I don't like to sing. And some of you, I look at in worship and I think it's not just singing's not your thing. Like smiling's not your thing. Joy's not your thing. Being happy's not your thing. And you know what I realize and what you realize too? It's not your thing unless you really care. I mean, literally, when, and y'all, some of y'all don't even know what happened in the game. That's okay. Tennessee won big. They're going to be great. They're, it's, they're back. It's, we're national championship next year, all right? No, that's not true. But they, th- they went up 21 to nothing. This was a game we didn't know if they were going to win. They went up 21 to nothing. And I literally punched the seat I was in, jumped up, ran around. Yeah, woo, we're back. It's good. <laughs> literally, in that moment, the Lord just kind of whispered to me. What are you preaching about Sunday? That's not a good thing when the Lord asks you that, all right? And some of you people that have told me that I'm just not the expressive God. That's just not me. I've seen you expressive. It's just that you care. Get to talking about politics with you. You care. Get to talking about your sports team and you care. Get to talking about a relationship with somebody and you care. And what you care about, you worship. Answer to what is the chief end of man, and it is the one answer that is all of us have to come to terms with. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that's it. To give Him glory. When it says that your name and your renown are the desire of our souls, the idea is that we are going to give to him the glory that is due his name. And somebody was well, what is glory? What does that mean? There are two basic words in the Bible for glory. The first one comes from the Old Testament. They didn't have vowels when they wrote the Old Testament originally. And so it's literally just the consonants KBD. We've put vowels in there because it's kind of hard for us to pronounce kbd and so we say kabod not kebab that's a different thing all right kabod 
And the word kabod doesn't have any tie directly to God. It's just a word that means weight. And the idea was in their society, you determine something's intrinsic value by how much it weighed. And so you would set up scales and you would balance the scales and however much it weighed was what its intrinsic, its value, its worth was. And so for people, when they talk about the glory of God, the weight of God, the, the substance of God, the intrinsic value of God, what they're saying is he is the weightiest, the greatest, the most intrinsic intrinsically valuable thing in the history of the universe. He is glory. He is weight. He is substance. Everything that has been and will be is because of him. He is glorious. And in the New Testament, the word is a word that is doxa. And it means reputation and it, it, opinion. It, it's like when you, you, that was the best or that was not good at all, or that was, that's okay, but I've had better, or I've had worse, or that is the absolute best I have ever eaten in my life. You're giving your glory, you're giving your value, you're giving your opinion, your reputation to something. And in the New Testament, it says that Jesus is the image, the glory, the radiance of God's glory. He is the reputation, he is the opinion. And what we get is that Jesus, in Christ, we have a picture of God that shows us that he is the most glorious, the most greatest reputation, the best opinion that has ever existed. We have the strongest, most unbelievable God who has the best reputation for love and compassion and grace and mercy. And this is a God that desires to have a relationship with you. And it is our task. It is our duty. You know, it is our privilege and our joy to enjoy him and glorify him forever. Don't waste your life. You get one shot at this and that's all that matters. And we don't live our life that way. We live like all this other junk matters. And we build a web that obscures the one thing that makes any difference. If we're going to be passionately devoted to Christ as individuals, if we're going to be passionately devoted to Christ as a congregation, we are going to have to be worshipers of the one true God. And here's what I want to ask you today. I'm going to ask you to think about something and then I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. Here's the question I have. What do you need in your life to cut away? What is it in your life that is preventing you from seeing God in the way that He ought to be seen? What is it that is the web that prevents you from doing the one thing you're called to do? And are you willing to cut down the web and be a worshiper of the one true God? Let me give you two ways that you need to do that. First of all, in order to worship God, to be a worshiper, that means in private you're going to have to be serious, committed, to worshiping Him privately. I, I don't mean privately here. I mean in your life. Through the week. Find you music that really speaks to your soul. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Listen, at this point, if you like a musical style, there is music out there that speaks the name of Jesus in that style. Bluegrass, heavy metal, old school hymns, Newest contemporary stuff. 
Find something. Put it in your car. Put it on your uh, phone. Listen to it while you're driving. Some of my best worship times is when I'm alone in the car and I've got music playing. Some of my best worship times are when I'm in the car with the kids and they're fighting. I just turn the music up. But it's not just music. Find a time. In fact, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. And all God's people said, oh, no. Some of you are like, you can give it. Uh, Here's your assignment. I just want you to do this. I want you to take God's word and I want you to read through Psalms. One or two a day. Three a day, four a day, whatever. If if it's a day that the psalm is four verses, don't say, I'm done for the day. Take two or three a day, read it. This is something that somebody told me to do 17 years ago. Majorly impacted my life. And then at the end of your reading, two or three, ver- two or three psalms a day, write down a name for God you see in the text. Now, some of that days that won't be hard at all. For instance, if that particular day you're reading Psalm 23, the first thing that David says is, the Lord is my shepherd. You can write it, Lord is my shepherd. Like, I got that done, I'm done. If you're reading Psalm 46, the Lord is my rock. I mean, there are some times that you're going to see that right away. But here's what I want you to do. Read two or three, look at it and say, this is the one that speaks to me today. And just write it down at the top of a sheet of paper if you've got a journal or something. Okay? Even if you're one of those, I don't journal, I don't write. Can you write four or five words, all right? Type it in your phone in the notes section. And then write down or think about a few ways that God has shown himself to be that in your life. You know what happens when you begin to notice those kind of things? Anybody here ever bought a vehicle and you don't remember anybody else driving a vehicle like you drive now? And you drive off the parking lot and there are like eight of them there? Like in traffic, you're like, where did all these cars come from, right? Because there's this, there's a scientific name for that. I call it, you didn't notice it before, but now that you got it, you notice it now, Right? That's not the scientific name for it, by the way. Or, for instance, when Susan and I named Eli, we, we were looking for names that not everybody had. We, it had a deep spiritual meaning to us. Elijah means Yahweh is my God. And we were declaring that Yahweh is our God. And we wanted to declare that over his life, that our goal was for Elijah to be the say that Yahweh is his God. It was a, there was a spiritual aspect to it. But it was also cool because we didn't know anybody else that had that name. And literally in the hospital with Eli were like two other Elijahs. Like, where did these Elijahs come from? It became one of the most popular names of the year. When you begin to do this with Psalms, make this your quiet time. If you don't do a quiet time, you can do it in addition to your quiet time. It won't add a bunch to it. When you begin to do this, you'll begin to see God in places you never expected. Some of it would be really good. When you write, the Lord is my shepherd, man, I remember when God brought my family through this situation. But you know what? There's sometimes you read the Psalms and you're like, the God is a righteous judge. And you're going to have to come honestly. I remember when God judged me in this place and he had every right to. So privately, I need you to be focused in worship. And then the second thing is, I need you to be involved in extravagant corporate worship. That's us. That's here. There are weeks when Jeff and the band are leading and we are singing some of the greatest truths about the greatest being that has ever existed. And the looks on your faces and the attitudes that we see tell us that you don't care at all. 
And I'm going to talk. If you're a guest here, I'm going to have a little family time, all right? You've got to do better than that. You've got no excuse about getting here late now. We need you here on time. We moved the whole service back because y'all weren't going to get here on time. We need you here, but not just here. We need you ready to engage. And let me tell you something. It is not my job, it is not Jeff's job to get you riled up and ready for worship. We are not cheerleaders for God. We are not the pep rally for Him. If our, your motivation is Jeff and I, we are going to sorely disappoint you. That's not my job. In fact, if you're coming to listen to me or to hear from Jeff and the band, then you are missing the point because there is someone much more important in this place today. It is the Spirit of the living God. And for too many years, and you know, generalizations aren't always true, but generally generalizations have some truth in them or they wouldn't become generalizations. For too many years as Baptists, we've been pretty good on what we believe and we have been completely dead in the way that we practice it. Is what one day Jeff and I were talking, I called it dead orthodoxy. We got all the right beliefs, but you couldn't tell that it makes a difference in our life. And man, it's not for me that you're doing this. It's not for this church. But we are missing out when we come into this place. And for some reason, it doesn't shake us to the core of our being about how great the God is we serve. Last night, I was up late. I, the Lord just wouldn't let me let message this message leave me. And I was multitasking. And you hear multitask ever? I was watching TV, studying my sermon notes and surfing Twitter. Because you can do all three of those things effectively, right? And while I was surfing Twitter, I, I mentioned something changing my life 17 years ago. That's something that changed my life 17 years ago. And I, I see God did it in an amazing way. Is a, a conference called Passion. And currently they are doing Passion this year, 17 years later, Passion 2014, or 2015. Um, I guess it's 18 years later now. Um, and one of the guys that spoke here today is a guy named Francis Chan. Now I was looking through Twitter. I just saw people retweeting stuff that he said. And even last night, it just floored me. This is what he said yesterday, apparently, in the sermon. I haven't seen it, but this was on Twitter. It is a tragedy that we have started thinking of time with Almighty God as ordinary or burdensome in America today. What makes worship awesome is the object of our worship, not our actual worship. It's not about a cause, it's about a person. And then he's speaking to a college generation and he says this, the biggest concern I have for your generation is your inability to focus. The habit of multitasking can keep you from a wholehearted worship experience. Reminder, I am multitasking. Surfing Twitter, looking over sermon notes, TV on. 11.45 at night. God just nailed me and said, how in the world can you, some of you have been multitasking here, like listening to me, angry birds on the screen, tweeting, texting. In fact, he said, I think this generation would be more excited to take a selfie with Moses than to meet with the living God. And then this is the one that he, he just the last one. Two more. Satan wants you detached from God 
So he tries to distract you in every way possible. And something is wrong when we don't long to be with Jesus. What's your web of distraction? What's keeping you from worshiping the Almighty God? I see it every week when you walk into this room. You've got so much stuff going on. You can't focus. You can't be here in the moment. Can I tell you, you can't come into this place and expect to flip a switch. You've got to prepare for this all week. And when you come in here, let it exalt the name of the one who deserves to be exalted. Listen, I'm, some of you are going to find this strange, but by nature, I'm an introvert. I mean, you say, well, how do you get up on stage? This is just one of those things God overcame and I do. By nature, I'm an introvert. I can't sing a lick. I joke all the time I'm a prison singer. I always got the wrong key and I always find a few bars. I can't sing. If people listen, if I really go for it, now I've, I've learned the manner of singing low where you know you can't really mess up too bad. But if I really go for it, it is painful to people around me. I, I'm, I'm not an emotional guy. I don't cry at movies. You talk to me on the phone, you can't tell whether I'm high, low, in between. I'm just, that's who I am. But in those moments when I actually come in contact and understand who the God of the universe is and what he's doing in my life, I can't help but be emotional and loud and responsive. And that's what I so desperately want for us. To release inhibitions and worship the Lord our God in a way that gives glory and honor. And it just goes back to the question of what you're passionate about. Because some of you right now are listening to this and you're like, I'm just glad when he's done. Because you don't care. And all I can pray for you is that the Lord Almighty would so impact your life that it would radically change your view of that. But for some of you, you have a desire for the passion. And for whatever reason, when you come into this room, you just don't release. If we're going to be passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ, it's going to require focused private worship and extravagant time together. We're about to worship Jeff and the band's going to come up. I'm going to pray in just a moment. They're going to come up and they're going to lead us. I just want you to, don't, don't put on a show today because I've talked about this. I just want you to be passionately devoted to serving the Lord in worship. I want you to echo the words that we sing in glory and honor to Him. And I want your emotions and your passion to match the majesty and the glory of what we're saying. Let's pray together.